Fuck. You know what I woke up with Monday? Not even a cold, just the inability to speak was gone. That's hard. Yesterday, same kind of thing. And so, Devin, thank you very much for all the great work that you always do around here. You know what the secret is? If you do lose your voice, say nothing. You know what you're inclined to do is, let's see if my voice is working again. Don't do that. Do nothing like that. Say nothing. Close your mouth. Don't talk. When someone asks you a question, text them. They could be standing right in front of you. Shoot them a text. They'll understand after a while, I have no voice. If they read that, it's very plain English. But that's the idea. Say nothing, it'll come back a lot quicker. The more you hack and mm, and, uh, and force things, the longer you're going to be without it. So today on the show, we are going to see whether or not we can find the finish line for Projects Downtown. Jimmy Anchula is set to join us in about 10 minutes, and he'll take us through how things are going to shape up so that you know when you can use Dundas, when you can use Richmond going all the way through, where new detours are going to pop up. We'll talk about all of those things because downtown London can be a challenge to get around. You know what you don't want to do on Friday afternoons? Drive from Budweiser Gardens to CCH. That's a tough stretch. You're talking an investment of a good 20 minutes. You might as well just park the car somewhere or not even bring it and walk. It would be quicker. You could pull that off in almost 20 minutes, probably more like 25 or 30, but it would be a lot easier than trying to do it in a car. So, free bus passes then? Is that what we're looking at? Free bus ridership? That's going to be talked about tonight. You realize that's not a joke. That's actually on the docket for the meeting that is set to begin at 5 o'clock. And if you want to be there, you can. They're going to be looking at dozens of ideas to improve ridership, of course, and offering free rides is out there. And that's the one that everybody's kind of said, whoa, wait a minute, free? Free? How would this work? Well, it isn't a joke because it's been done in another place. One place in the world right now is doing it that we can find. And there are others that are talking about it. Paris is talking about it. Edmonton is talking about it right now. But Estonia is actually doing it. You know, the world leaders, Estonia, they don't lead the world in everything. But they do lead the world right now in free bus passes. And essentially, here's how it works. Everybody in Estonia rides the bus for free. Now, just before you go hopping a plane to Estonia to see how that works, be careful. Tourists don't ride for free. You have to be an Estonian. And then you can get on the bus and you can go wherever you want. And it costs you absolutely nothing. Kind of. I'll get to that in a minute. But if you are a tourist or an outsider in any way, if you're visiting family, doesn't matter. You're not an Estonian, you have to pay to ride the bus. Now, here's the catch in all of this. It does cost, of course, to run buses. So where does that come from? Well, it comes from taxpayers. And taxpayers contribute basically $31 million a year to Estonian bus service. That's a big chunk of change. Now, we already have some taxes that go to help provide for LTC and and those sorts of things. But uh, for the most part, we're looking at ridership being a big key to the amount of money that is brought about by London Transit. So this would be different. 
And Edmonton is looking at it too. Edmonton has basically broken it down even further, saying every single taxpayer would be responsible for $160 extra. And what that would do is give you free ridership on the bus. So scratch your head about that for just a minute. If Edmonton is looking at this and they're saying $160 per person, so if you take it to a family of four, that's $640. Wait a minute, I'm not paying $640 of my taxes to the bus. That's not happening. But what if it did? What if you were trying to buy a bus pass? You would not be able to buy it for a year for $640 just for you, let alone your entire family. And if you broke it down that way, does it start to make a little bit more sense? There will be people that say, absolutely not. I'm not riding the bus. I don't take the bus. It doesn't take me where I want to go. It doesn't work into my life. But more and more, we do have to find a way. We have had counselors saying for a long time, we've got to find a way in this. We've got to get people out of their cars. And maybe the construction that we're experiencing now has something to do with it. But let's face it. I am convinced, and if you talk to heads of real estate, if you talk to some of the higher-up business people, if, if you look at you know anybody on council, they'll tell you we have seen a bump in population. And that probably won't really be recognized until we can sit back and have a nice census again. But we've got people retiring in Toronto, and they are coming to southwestern Ontario because the lifestyle is fantastic. And the property's a lot cheaper from where they're coming from. So we've got an influx. This Remember when we wanted Amazon to bring all of their stuff here? Yeah, that, that wouldn't have worked. We're not ready for that. But instead, we're still getting a bump. And that is making it very difficult to drive around. You have to experience this if you drive around. I had a chat with somebody who lives in Sarnia and was in London last week. And they were saying they couldn't believe it. They used to live in London. They can't believe how much more difficult it is to get around. So we have to do something. We have to find a way to encourage people to think of alternate modes of transportation. And you heard all throughout this morning on 980 CFPL News from Cheryl Ruth, who is the chair of the London Transit Commission. And she was basically saying, look, every other city has a public transit, and people seem to just jump on that, no problem. If you go to Montreal, you're taking the subway. You know you are. Ottawa and Kitchener have recently put in LTC, or uh, light rail transit, LRT. Now, up and running, well, they'll get there. But they will get there. And that will change things for them. We've got to find a way here. And free bus passes, free bus transportation, would that be something to encourage people to ride? I don't know. I don't know that people in London are going to say, hey, this is new, this is great, and I'm going to find a way for it to fit into my life. Because that's what you'd have to do. You would have to find a way to fit that in your life, as opposed to just saying, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to make an effort. If it fits into your life, it's easy to do. But if it doesn't, to go above and beyond to make that effort, I'm not convinced. And if we did it at certain times of the day, then what would that do? Would that, would that make a difference? So it's something to think about. And I'm interested to see how this meeting works out tonight. But know that they do it in Estonia, and it is funded by taxes. 
and they're looking at doing it in Edmonton, and it would be funded by taxpayers to the tune of 160 bucks a head. Is that something you'd be interested in? Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. You can always give us a call, 519-643-2222. We may pick up on that conversation in a little bit, but it's something I want to get you thinking about because it does happen. As much as this seems like, wow, let's come up with the craziest idea, how about riding the bus for free, it does happen. And other municipalities are looking at it. Is it something that would encourage you to ride the bus around here? Up next, we're going to talk about the finish lines downtown because we're starting to see some. When exactly are we going to have the opportunity to use Dundas Place? Can we see the light at the end of the tunnel? Can we see the finish line? Yes, we actually can. And we'll get you details on what's taking place and how things have been going. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Here was a really difficult job. A judge had to decide how to distribute the money for victims of the Humboldt Broncos bus crash and has just set on a couple of numbers. Families of deceased victims will receive $575,000 and families of survivors and essentially survivors will receive $475,000. So that's the way they've divided it up. That's a difficult job. That's a really difficult job. We want to talk about downtown London and the fact that we're starting to get closer to the finish line. This could actually be clearing itself up and maybe, just maybe, some of that downtown congestion clears up with it. I'm not sure. We've still got to find ways to get out of our cars. I'm now finally convinced. But that's not the topic of the day. Jim Yanchula is the manager of downtown projects and business relations with the city of London. And we're lucky to be able to pick his brain right now as to when some of this stuff is going to stop. If you want to shop at some of those downtown stores, are you going to be able to do that as the holidays really approach? Well, let's find out. Jim, we can imagine it's another busy day in the neighborhood on the streets of London for you. Can we actually talk finish lines for some of the projects? Well, we can talk finish targets. Uh, the finish targets are December 21st because uh, after that we'll be getting into the Christmas season. We're trying to do better than that, though. Okay. Well, if the targets are December 21st, how much better do you think you can do? Uh, we could, uh, depending on the weather, the weather gods have not been with us uh, in this uh, autumn season. So we always have a target, and then we get rain when rain isn't expected, and snow and colder weather when and it isn't expected at this time of year. And we're taking all kinds of extraordinary measures to plow through, even despite that. So, um, you know, a week to 10 days earlier than that is our target, but we will go with our December 21st until we know what the weather gods have in store for us. Well, that's not too bad. Hold Hopefully they're throwing all this stuff at us so that they can give us some bright sunshine, although I don't see it ahead in the forecast, but bright sunshine in the next couple of weeks. Let's focus in on Dundas right now and the things that still need to be finished up, because anyone who has driven by it can look and really see what this is going to look like. 
Yes, we've had a lot of uh, people who seem to be pleased with what they're seeing in the finished product near the west end of Dundas Place, let's say around by Gardens. Uh, but what needs to be done still is, and is uh, proceeding rather well, actually, is the paving. So there's a concrete um, base for the paving, and that's almost at Richmond right now. And then there are the uh, special uh, paving bricks that go on top of that, and that is just behind the concrete base that has been poured. Anybody who's gone by will have seen their heat blankets and special heating elements that are curing the concrete. Right now, there's a tent over Dundas Place underneath which the paving people are laying the brick pavers so that they avoid the weather issue. Uh, and we're inching towards Dundas and Richmond. Um, at Dundas and Richmond, we've got it. Um, the, the grading ready to start taking the asphalt. They've installed the curves. They've got the new traffic signal uh, bases ready to go. Um, we just need weather to cooperate. Perfect. We're talking with Jim Yanchula on London Live, the manager of downtown projects and business relations, getting an update on the timeline for Dundas Place and Richmond. Any other spots looking like they could finish up in the city by, say, the 21st, or is that kind of the main area? No, we also have uh, York and Talbot Street, which is also scheduled to be uh, back open and free to traffic, which will help on the commute, you know, eastbound and westbound along York Street. That's been kind of closed in segments all during the 28 construction season. And so when Dundas opens east to west, uh, very shortly around the same time, we expect York to open east to west. Good news. Now, in terms of going through all of this, obviously you had conversations with some of the merchants and shop owners along Dundas, and they they were informed as to here's what's taking place. How do you feel the communication has gone with them this time around? Well, I'm hoping they would agree with me that we have a direct line of communication with each other. I This is a large part of my job is to hear what their concerns are, address them in the moment, take them to the contractor, take them back to other uh, subcontractors, and try to advance what we're able to do within the course of a contract. Uh, so constant communications. We also make an effort to let all the commuters know because while uh, merchants along any of these routes have their concerns, we also have people who are passing through, not necessarily arriving at a destination, and they want to know how to get to where they're going. So we, we pu- pulled out all the stops for example, on the week of November 10th and 11th, because we had the Santa Claus Parade and we had events at Bud Gardens and the Grand Theater, and then Remembrance Day was the next day, and try to push out the communications to let the public know. Um, So you should have heard it on the radio uh, several times then. And then every week we update those communications too. And this has to be different from other projects that the city has done, the communication aspect. Yeah, we we act we've uh, additional resources that are being plowed into this because we know that there are so many people impacted in such a geographically tight area downtown that we have to go above the standard notice that you would get in the mail. We have to be proactive, uh, in, so that's what we're doing. Now, are there any of the projects that may not be completely finished that would resume, say, in the spring after the big deep freeze ends? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, all uh, Downtown will be under construction because uh, we have to upgrade the quality and the size of the infrastructure over the next 10 years. So we're going to have to learn how to live with detours for a little while in the future. But it'll be suspended during the winter so that um, vehicular 
um, traffic can still pass through and the snow plows can do their jobs and things like that. So we'll suspend it. We won't finish it, but we'll suspend it. And then we'll continue on down York Street next year. And we'll continue around Dundas Street next year. And uh, we'll have a different set of uh, detours that we'll have to learn to move around. But eventually, that's the whole thing, right? Short-term pain, long-term gain? Absolutely. Uh, we, we, people who have noticed how handsome um, the first blocks emerging of Dundas Place, for example, are, are, are seeing the kind of icing on the cake. Remembering we had to bake that cake, we had to do all that stuff underground, and now they're seeing it all finished up and people are seeing it's being transformed. And likewise along York Street, too. Um, we've had lots of good feedback on York Street from the people who are living in the condos, for example, saying Thank you for helping us maneuver around this. And you have to remember, that's like a, a vertical neighborhood where, um, you know, 300 people could be coming and going all day long. Yeah. Jimmy Antrula with us, manager of downtown projects and business relations. Jim, in terms of, of the construction crews being able to say, here's what we're going to do and uh, have it happen. Sometimes you hear municipalities will try and, and give incentives or even have fines available if that isn't done. How is that going as, as kind of a last piece to this whole puzzle? Well, we make those decisions on incentives and fines uh, in the contracts. So for some of our contracts, we, we have those available, but we do that at the end after we've determined what the reasons were for being ahead of time or behind time, because sometimes they're in our control and sometimes they're beyond anybody's control. Yeah, like you've outlined, the weather has not been overly cooperative. So here's hoping we get some bright sunshine on the way. Jim, thank you so much for the update on this. No problem. Call anytime. Jim Yantrula, he is the manager of downtown projects and business relations with the City of London. So, we do have some silver linings there. That's good. Short-term pain, long-term gain, right? That's what we're looking at. It is going to be beautiful. If you haven't seen what Dundas Place looks like, as Jim pointed out, around Budweiser Gardens, it is going to be great. And the idea that they will have someone managing events for that area. I can't wait to see what they do with it. I want to catch up on a couple of emails regarding free bus service. If you were able to ride the bus for free. In Estonia, that's what they do. And they've got a big old boost from taxpayers, about $31 million in order to make that happen. There are some very generous subsidies that their public transit system gets. So they don't just say, okay, it's free. Come on on. It's being funded by taxpayers. That's what Edmonton is looking at as well. And Trevor did some math. He says, you mentioned Estonia has free transit at a cost of about $30 million. Estonia has a population of about $1.5 million. That's under 30 bucks per person. London has a population of a little over 400000 Operating cost is $87 million. Food for thought. And Michael says, taxpayers' money uh, and public transit. He says, correct me if I'm wrong. Less than 5% of the full-time residents in London, not students, ride buses. Sounds like the typical council process not getting the bang for our buck. To me, that absolutely makes no sense. However, going forward, let's have a plebiscite audit guaranteed it would get squashed, and I know council knows that. So this is spitballing. That's what this is. This isn't, don't, don't get mad at your councillor here. Don't... They're just getting set to be sworn in. You don't want to be knocking on their door just yet. They, that's not what this is. This is not an idea from city council. This is basically tonight at 5 o'clock, we've got a list of proposals that are going to be presented at the London Transit Commission meeting, and one of them is free ridership. And there's going to be dozens of ideas. And, of course, this is to help improve ridership rates 
and offering free rides is on the table. Estonia does it, but taxpayers fund it. Edmonton is looking at it, or at least, you know, in a way looking at it. Taxpayers would fund it. That's what would have to happen. If it was free, would you use it? If you build it, they will come. I don't know. I don't know. Because I will always hold to the argument, and we're just coming through this in our own family, where we've been a family of four. You can't do a family of four on the bus. You can't. You can't buy enough groceries for them. You can't get them to their activities on time. It just can't be done in that way. There are certain parts of life that I believe that bus transit is fantastic, works beautifully. Is it too much? Well, that's that's an argument that is made. And we look at all the subsidies, some which have been changed, some which look to be changed back. So lots to talk about tonight at 5 o'clock, and then we'll break some of that down tomorrow. We'll see how some of the ideas do go over. We have news coming up next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We have the best listeners anywhere. The work you guys do. Bill Brock, thank you very much. Here's what Bill has sent to us. We were banging around the percentage of Londoners using LTC. And let's let's face it, it's under 10% if you take out students. We know that. Bill has quoted 8% of Londoners use LTC. Post-secondary students have a special deal. He says many are covered by funding for programs, basically you pay for it out of your tuition, and then they can make use of it. And you know what they do? Post-secondary students going to Fanshawe College or going to Western University, they make use of that. I don't know whether it would come out to warranting a complete bus pass, but they make use of it. And according to Bailey, he says, the students represent about 50% of ridership for the eight months in class. How does one provide a service given this scenario? Elementary students get free transportation if they're going over 1.6 kilometers. Secondary students get free transportation if they are going beyond 3.2 kilometers. Ontario Works provided free bus passes for lower-income individuals meeting criteria. Uh, The program was canceled because people wanted the money, not the pass. So that cost LTC, according to Bill's numbers, 6% of ridership. And he says the current BRT debate is about better service. If service isn't faster, why would you switch? No data shows faster service except those based on assumptions. He says fuel for thought. Bill, thank you so much for that. I mean, that is a conversation that we have to have because we do have to look at the future. I mean, you look at what's going on right now at the General Motors plants in Oshawa. You can see it one of two ways. And maybe you can see it a little bit of both. One, this is complete corporate greed. And is there a chance? Sure. I mean, everything has corporate greed in it. Corporations will look to run as streamlined as possible so that they can maximize the payouts for their shareholders. They're going to do that. So is there a corporate greed element? Probably. But the other thing is, are they looking at the future? Are they looking at where driving is going, where transport is going? Transporting humans is changing. Everything is changing. I mean, we had CRISPR babies apparently born in China. You want to see freaky things? 
I'm not saying the babies are freaky things, but the things you can do with CRISPR, they get a little freaky. What are these kids going to be able to do? Can they jump six feet high? I don't know. They might be able to pretty soon. You can do some pretty wild things if you look into CRISPR, something we'll talk about maybe next week on the show. We'll, we'll find someone who can really break it down for us. But when you examine what's going on, there's change taking place everywhere. Change in driving, we're being told it's changing. But we're not seeing the ability to go out and buy autonomous vehicles right now. You're not going to look into that if you're buying a vehicle in the next week or so. It's not the kind of vehicle you're going to get. So how long is it going to take? Because those vehicles have to interact with the autonomous vehicles. There's, there's a lot of stuff that has to go on, and none of it's all that cheap in order to make this work. So yes, GM might be investing in different ways, but I don't think they're up to making CDs just yet. Those vehicles that have been made in Oshawa, we can't call them CDs in a world of streaming. I don't believe we're quite there yet. So we do know that transportation is going to change. How do we make a change here in London? How do we make things better? That's what they're looking at tonight. So thank you again for all of the feedback on that. We may get an opportunity to talk more about that in just a little while, maybe an hour from now. Coming up in about a half hour from now, I don't know if you saw the story about the two individuals who were taken into custody on Monday and they are accused of creating a gifting cloud. Well, that sounds nice. A gifting cloud? What exactly is that? Yeah, it's not as nice as you think. It's a pyramid scheme. It's a Ponzi scheme. And so we'll look at how these work and how people still get away with this stuff in 2018. How does somebody put together something like this and have it work? Now, this is not a how-to. We're going to be talking with an assistant professor of criminology at Western, Dr. Derek Silva. But I'm interested to know how people keep getting hooked in things like this. Maybe because of the name? Oh, that's wonderful. A gifting cloud. And in about 15 minutes from right now, remember, we're all supposed to get that emergency test or the test of the emergency system. Remember last time it happened? It was as random as random could be. Hey, did you get it? Yeah. Did you? No. Do you have an Android? Yeah, so do I. And you got it and I didn't? Huh. And the same thing would happen with people who had iPhones. It was completely random. So is today going to work a little bit better? Well, we're due to find out at about 1.55 in Ontario. We'll monitor it closely. In fact, you'll be able to hear it happen on London Live. We'll take a break. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. On the back of talking about corporations doing some investing, we want to talk about investing because I don't know if you saw a major headline. If you didn't, I'm going to read it to you right now. Federal government, and this is a Canadian thing, we're not talking about Estonia anymore. This is a Canadian thing. Federal government announces $805 million social finance fund. That's a lot of money. $805 million. If we round up, that's a billion dollars. So we're just under a billion dollars. So think about that for a second. Federal government announces $805 million social finance fund. The reason that headline might zoom on by is you think, I don't have any idea what a social finance fund is. Now, there's the government. They're just giving more money away again. $805 million here, $805 million there. But we've got to slow this down. We've got to press the brake because we need to figure out how this actually affects London. 
Because if you look at London, Ontario, and you listen to what people say about London, Ontario, you hear that we are one of this country's leading social finance communities. And that's a pretty good title. So we have two very important individuals who are joining us in studio here on London Live to help us understand a little bit more about this. Lena Bowden is the co-founder of Verge. And Martha Powell is the president and CEO of the London Community Foundation. Thank you for coming in studio on uh, not exactly a sunny day. You didn't get rained on, right? It's not raining? No, no. But no thanks for the invitation freezing. to be here. Thank you for having us. Well, no, it's great having you here. Lena, maybe we can start just with something that people are hearing for the first time. London is one of Canada's leading social finance communities. Typically, what does that refer to? What are we leading in? Okay, so let me just start at the beginning in talking about what social finance really is. And it is the idea of putting investment dollars to work in uh, local communities. So the idea that you can make an investment that not only has a financial return, but also a social or environmental impact as well. And so the work kind of started uh, probably about six years ago. Um, Pillar Nonprofit Network has been engaged in supporting social enterprises and helping them build and grow. And part of the idea of social enterprises is really, again, it's a, it's a company that uh, it could be a nonprofit, it could be a for-profit, but an entity that has a mission at its core. So it's a revenue generation kind of machine. It's a, it's a business, uh, business venture, but it, at the very soul and heart of that business is a social or environmental purpose. So with building out these kinds of um, businesses, then as any business, they need access to capital. So our community started to rally together about six years ago where we brought the community together. And uh, as they say, London Community Foundation was a big part of that, as well as Libro Credit Union, Sisters of St. Joseph's, who are now really key partners, as well as Pillar Nonprofit, who's been kind of um, the lead organization or the backbone organization for this work. So what we've been doing is talking about how do we get access to more of those investment dollars. And it's not to replace philanthropy because philanthropy has a very significant role to play, but it's really expanding the dollars that are available to communities to do really good work. And that expansion is, you know, leading into the investment portfolio where you can make an investment and not only have a financial return, but this social or environmental return. And so, uh, you know, so we started doing some, some, having some conversations in the community about how could we help this grow. And so we formed uh, a collaborative called Verge. And, uh, you know, we launched a, a smaller fund that started to make uh, loans to social enterprises. Um, and then later on, we actually launched just this year a fund called the Breakthrough Fund, the Verge Breakthrough Fund. And uh, that fund is a collection of 20 investors that have pooled their monies in a trust structure. And then now we are making investments in affordable housing as well as social enterprises. And so what we're doing actually, and I'll let Martha talk more about how London Community Foundation is also doing some really good work with their investment portfolio. We co-invest with London Community Foundation on affordable housing and social enterprise loans, which allows more money to be put out to good work. All right. So if if we're to kind of look at the beginning, then you talk about philanthropy on one hand. If someone does not consider themselves to be a philanthropist, maybe they don't have three million dollars sitting in the bank and they're looking for a great place to put it. They can still make use of their own investments to help out the community. Is that the, the that, crux of this? That's the crux of it. And also, you know, people who are philanthropists 
uh, it's a way of expanding their own uh, impact in community by saying they've got X dollars, which they give away, but they also have, you know, I'm going to say XXXX dollars that's investments. And now they have this opportunity to leverage a portion of that investment and add to their good works that they're doing through philanthropy. Okay, well, let's look at how this works. Mm -hmm. Lena Bowden is the co-founder of Verge. Martha Powell is the president and CEO of the London Community Foundation. Martha, if you look at the London Community Foundation's role in something like this, how has it kind of been included? So London Community Foundation has about $90 million um, in investments. And this is endowed money, but we also have a pool as part of that of money that donors have entrusted to us as endowed, meaning we're investing it forever and the income is used. But we have the access to this pool of money that we felt, you know, we grant about four and a half million dollars into the community. That's giving away money. This, we're accessing this fund to invest the money that has been entrusted by donors that will Go primarily right now. We've been investing in social or affordable housing, that the income comes back, but it's a social return, as Lena was saying. But then we recycle that capital out into the community. So we're putting, instead of just giving grant money, we're also loaning money and investing money in social enterprise and and affordable housing, primarily. And would this particular initiative by the federal government play a role in this, or is this kind of highlighting what's already happening? So the connection back to why it's so exciting <laughs> that the federal government has been uh, has decided to do this um, is that we need help. We This is a new type of investment. So investors are a little bit cautious. They're kind of curious, but cautious. And so uh, we need the government's help to help us launch these kinds of funds. So for example, with our fund that we've um, already got underway, the Breakthrough Fund, that uh, received some supports from our Ontario government which allowed what was called a first loss capital. So what that means is that as investors come in, they're secured a little bit because the the provincial government took the sort of the first risk. So if we have, you know, say one of our investments tanks, <laughs> we at least have the the Ontario government's investment to be able to sort of act as that what they call first loss capital. So it actually protects the investors and it allows investors to sort of dip their toe into this idea of impact investing. You know, and uh, maybe not make it seem as risky. So as we kind of launch these types of funds and grow these funds, we think they have huge potential to create large impact in community. Uh, but we need the government's help. And so the federal government, by putting this $800 million to work, they're going to actually help uh, um uh, organizations like Verge, where we're actually trying to build this out at a very grassroots community level. So our fund is available to loan out to southwestern Ontario. So it's what's called place-based social finance. So it's the idea that investors can make an investment that has a, an impact in the area, the region that they live. So we are, are uh, we've been working for the last probably year across the country with other funds that are very similar to Verge. And we've been rallying together to um, kind of put our thoughts in front of the federal government to say, this is how you can help us and this is how it would impact our region. And so we're really delighted that the government has stepped up and and put this money to work. And so it still has to be decided in terms of how that, what's the structure? How do they, you know, give out that money? But we do know that uh, any existing funds are well poised because they want to be able to um, 
be able to grant the money to organizations that have already a demonstrated uh, track record and success. So by the fact that we've been working at this for six years, actually bodes very well for our region because we've got, we're well equipped. We've got the ecosystem that's been built out. We've got the, you know, the talent and the coordination because really in London, we've been working really hard to work as a collaborative. And so that'll bode well for us when it comes time for the government to decide how they're going to to push this money out into uh, communities. Uh, we'll have a shot at getting at some of that money. It becomes a fantastic story and Martha, all it can do is help out more, can't it? Absolutely, it will. I mean, we our partnership or our, our um, collaboration with Verge and with the, the other partners is really important to us. We've had, since we've been working at this, we've had new donors come to us. So we're sort of the philanthropy side of the coin. Um, but we've had donors that have come to us and said, we really believe in what you're trying to do in the community. And our main focus right now is affordable housing because it's, if you looked at our vital signs report, it's uh, clearly a need in our community. So, you know, working together and, and uh, leveraging this kind of funding that can come into our community is truly important. Please keep up the great work. This is a fantastic announcement. I think we understand it a whole lot better. Thanks for being here. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thank you very much. Martha Powell, President and CEO of the London Community Foundation, and Lena Bowden, co-founder of Verge. We'll take a break. The emergency test is coming. Get ready. Hopefully you'll receive it. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. My phone's going off. Christian Devino's producing the show. We should get cut off any second. Are we getting cut off? All right. We had it. Did you look at your phone? I got it. Christian, did you get it? Christian Devino's producing the show today. Christian's holding up his phone. He got it. Out in the newsroom. Look at that. I think this worked out a little bit better than last time. Did you get the emergency alert? Now remember, this is just a test. This is just a test. But this is important that this works because it has so many different impacts. But I got it. If you didn't get it, can you drop us a note? Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Last time we had to piece it together. So was it iPhones? No. Some iPhones got it. Was it Android phones? No. Some Android phone got it. I don't know. I don't. It didn't make any sense. So now... So far, we're two for two, and I see some phones being held up in the 980 CFPL newsroom. But this is a very small sample size, so we need to extend this a little bit more. Did you get your emergency alert? Let's go to the phones. Al, did you get your emergency alert? No, I didn't. Oh, man, I thought we were on it. I thought it had worked. So you're staring at your phone right now, and you do not see a nice blanket, and it, it took over the whole screen on my phone. Emergency alert. I got nothing, and I'm actually on an iPhone 7. Man. You know? See, and, and I'm on an Rogers. iPhone. And he, Okay, your iPhone and Rogers, because this is what we did last time. We had to go, okay, what were you? iPhone and Rogers. All right. Al, thank you. I'm on iPhone 7. So. <laughs> okay, iPhone <laughs> 7. Have a great day. <sighs> I thought we had it. And then the sample size grows, and then we realize. Marilyn, you've got to be a test on this. Did, did you get your emergency alert? Well, no, because I didn't try, because I'm writing Christmas cards. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, look, I haven't talked to you in about a million years. <laughs> it's been a couple of weeks. It has been. And 
I wondered if I was getting the brush. Oh, I would never give you the brush. Well, I hope not, because I think the world of you, you know, I told you you're like my own son. Marilyn, I would never give you the brush, and I'm happy to know that you are completing Christmas cards. How many more do you have to go? Oh, gee, I don't know about 50. I had Oof. to buy cheap cards, you know, because I was oh, running okay. out of the good ones. Yeah, that's but all right. Cheap cards. Matter. There's one of the mail for you and your family. Oh, you're kidding. I can't wait. And there's one for Needles and one for Charlotte. Excellent. Well, I will let them know that they're coming. Marilyn, there has never been a brush off between you and I. We'll always be great friends. Enjoy the rest of your Christmas carols, and hopefully we find a way to get you the emergency alert. Okay, honey. Thank you. Take care. All right. Uh, Rose says, not on my phone. Uh, Michael says, I didn't get the alert. Oh, it's piling up. We'll see if we can figure this out. News is next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. How about a crime is shoplifting? If you're in your teens, sometimes is a part of growing up that you think, oh, I wonder if I can take this chocolate. I don't know. I'm not sure. But shoplifting does occur. That much we do know. And... We're seeing something happen in Toronto. I don't know if if you saw the beginning of this month, uh, and it's going to run for a little while longer. It was kind of the beginning of November. They decided to initiate something in Toronto called shop theft, which allows for privately employed theft prevention officers to release anyone who's picked up for shoplifting after the details of the incident are called in. So that they don't have to wait for hours and they don't basically go on to the, you know, the on-duty police officer's screen as, okay, this kid's been sitting there for three hours. You got to go. He picked up a chocolate bar and he got caught doing it. In Toronto, there were 16,667 shoplifting incidents reported in the calendar year of 2018, stopping at October 30th. That's unbelievable. Really? 16,000 in a year? And so what they're hoping to do is cut down on some of the things that police have to do. Now, at two of Toronto's busiest police divisions, they're not going to prosecute first-time shoplifters. And that's something that they hope makes a change. Now, Everything is recorded, right? Everything's recorded, so the name goes into the system. If you pop up again, hey, there'll be a serial shoplifter here. Then you get into some big trouble. Now, this is a six-month pilot project running in two different divisions, and anybody who is an alleged offender can be released if there is a what they call a non-violent shoplifting incident. And as long as they meet certain criteria, what are those criteria? They've got to be 18 years old. The items that they have stolen have to be worth less than a thousand bucks and they have to have ID on them. So if it's a younger kid, obviously they're, they're not going to be released. Interesting to think that this is what they're doing. And again, it is to try and cut down. What were we talking about last week? How busy police officers get, how nice it would be to put more police officers on the streets but to do that is not just, hey, here, here's some money, hire some more officers. It's not that easy. We talked with Rick Robson of the London Police Association 
all about it. So this at least cuts down on those number of calls. The number of calls officers have to make, go on a ride-along when you get a chance. The number of calls that they have to make that you would look at and say, really, that's something that you have to do? Yeah, we talked to her last night and the night before and the night and, and, and it goes back like that. And it's taking up time. And it, you know, in a world where you want to say police presence would be a detriment to people committing crimes, it's hard to have that police presence when they're running around chasing people who are picking up a chocolate bar and things and being detained for as long as it takes for officers to get there. So this is interesting. I don't know how people on the other side of it would go. Because did you not have the buddy who at 18 years old or just about to turn 18 turned to you the weekend before and said, man, I got to go out and do something. Do what? I don't know, commit a crime or something. Why? Well, because I'm going to turn 18 and it would be on my permanent record if I did it after next week. Of course, that same buddy didn't realize something called the court system and how long it would take to process you and he would have been 18. So I don't know if it turns into something like that where you've got shoplifters saying, yeah, it's only my first time. I can get a free chocolate bar. Free chocolate bar for anybody who is 18 years of age or older because first shoplift is free. I don't know if that would happen. You would hope it didn't. I don't think we should have any guarantees with anybody in our world. But in the meantime, let's take a look at a far more interesting crime than shoplifting. Something that actually sounds kind of nice. What if somebody knocked on your door and said, Hi, would you like to be involved in a gifting cloud? Oh, that has two things I really like. Clouds and gifts. Sure, I'd like to know more about this gifting cloud that you speak of. Well, two Londoners were taken into police custody two days ago, and they were accused of being behind a gifting cloud. Well, isn't that the nice cloud and the gifting? And no, it's not like that at all. And helping us to understand what this is, is Dr. Derek Silver, who is an assistant professor of criminology at King's University College. Dr. Silver, thanks so much for being here. Uh, Thank you for having me. Let's uh, start with what a gifting cloud is, just so that we can kind of clarify, because apparently it's it's not as nice as it sounds. No, it certainly uh, is not. Uh, it's it's basically um, a, a structure or a scheme where you recruit people um, to give gifts, and the idea is that if you recruit enough people um, to give gifts to others, that that money will sort of flow up a pyramid to the top. And your goal as recruiting people into that cloud is to get to the top so you can get paid out. Um, Because once you get to the top, the idea is you'll get paid out um, exponentially more than what you put in in the first place. So it's sounding like the description of an old pyramid scheme. Uh, Indeed it is. Um, uh, An old or a new twist on an old system. So when they were talking about giving gifts in this case, what exactly were they referring to? Do we know? Uh, they were referring to, to money exchanges, monetary exchanges of $5,000. Um, but the gift is that um, the, the idea, it's playing there off of, well, uh, you can give the gift to somebody and therefore, um, you know, the CRA and, tax, and this won't be taxable. Um, so the, the idea is that if you label it a gift, um, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. You're just recruiting people to give gifts. 
and I'm going to work my way up the pyramid until I can get paid. Gotcha. But in the end, how do things like this fall apart? Because we've seen some pretty intricate ones take down some pretty famous people. Uh, indeed, indeed. Well, we often see um, uh, in the in news media and stuff, we see Ponzi schemes, which are a little bit different. That Most of the attention gets paid to um, to these big, massive schemes that are somewhat similar to Pyramid, um, but a little bit different. And we can get into that um, uh, uh, in a moment. Um, how these things tend to get um, disrupted, um, as we've seen in the sort of, sort of history of pyramid schemes, is somebody eventually becomes keen to it and reports it to local authorities. And then that start, starts an investigation, um, and then it unravels relatively quickly at that point. We're talking with Dr. Derek Silva, Assistant Professor of Criminology at King's University College, and we're talking about a story that surfaced in London on Monday where we had a couple of people who were taken into police custody and they were accused of being involved in a gifting cloud, which, as Dr. Silva has outlined, is kind of a, a pyramid scheme. What makes a pyramid scheme illegal then? Uh, basically, it is a, um, it's against federal law in terms of taxation, in terms of, um, uh, well, one, you're eventually stealing from people because nobody wins in a pyramid scheme other than the people who are organizing that scheme. The premise is, is that you will go up the pyramid and when you reach the top, you will be paid out. But in reality, the organizers of the scheme end up just staying at the top and taking all of the money. So you think you're gonna, it's going to pay off through getting people to give gifts and you're going to move up the pyramid. But then when you reach the top, you find that there's nothing there. So it's straight theft. Um, in this case, they're also playing on um, the idea of a gift to get people to think that it's more legitimate than it probably is. And I guess that's just through the name. This, is, Like you say, it's a new twist on, on an old thing. They're basically calling it a gift, and that makes it different? Yeah, I think so, because we're, we're a little bit keen to these nowadays. We're more keen than we were at, at one point um, in history. So you have to be a little bit strategic with how you brand it. Um, and it offers legitimacy by calling it a gift. You can say, oh, well, like, this is, it's all nice. No one will ask questions. CRA won't ask any questions. The Canadian Revenue Agency, because it's a gift, playing on that idea that you can give freely to your family, to friends, um, and uh, the sort of tax person isn't going to come after you. So be very careful if somebody starts to say things like that, start to ask questions in a hurry. Dr. Derek Silva joining us, Assistant Professor of Criminology at King's University College. You mentioned pyramid scheme versus Ponzi scheme. Not the same thing? Not the same thing, but typically understood as such. A Ponzi scheme, the main difference is it's basically the same thing, but the main difference in a Ponzi scheme is that the participants believe that they're earning returns from investments. Whereas a pyramid scheme, participants are aware that they're earning money from recruiting other people to pay into that. So this is a case of a pyramid scheme where people know that they're recruiting others to pay into the system. A Ponzi scheme or a more high-level um, scheme would be like, oh, we're going to invest all of this money and the investment is what's going to pay you your dividends in the end. And isn't it wild that people would look at this and say, you know, the, that it gets stopped when somebody realizes what's going on and, and basically becomes a whistleblower in this? 
Indeed, and that's often how um, part of it. This is like not only branding this. So this case is interesting because they've branded it about the cloud and the gifting, but also you want to make sure people stay quiet about this. So it's often that the organizers will say, like, don't tell anyone. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. You don't want to mess with this, and that's a way to get them to not whistle blow, as you put it. Now. Sometimes people will use fake names in this. Can that happen too? I mean, I, it just it makes me scratch my head to think if somebody's saying, "Now this is once in a lifetime. Don't tell anyone, and make sure you use a fake name." This it all sounds wrong. It do, it does sound wrong. It sounds illegitimate, but often that's exactly what's happening. People use um, nicknames in these schemes in order to not give out too much information, in, in hopes of. You know, if those people do go and talk to, say, the police, that they won't know my name, so they won't know where to find me, and I'll leave, and I'll just go to another place and, and try a scheme elsewhere. But eventually, these things come crashing down, as we sort of see. <laughs> and who tends to be responsible? The people who are at the foot of the pyramid and then trying to build it? Or can everybody be responsible and maybe criminally responsible? Um, I think that... Uh, the the criminal nature of pyramid scheme. I think once you become involved and know that you are participating and there's some intent there, um, then you are crossing that uh, legal line, legal threshold of criminality. Um, but what we tend to see in these cases is that they tend to go for um, the leadership of these groups, if you can find them. That those people tend to be held criminally responsible. But they must bury themselves so far up or down the pyramid, they must be tough to find. They, they in some cases, they definitely um, uh, can be. And we also have to remember that many of the people who participate in these don't know they're participating in a pyramid scheme. They don't mean that's part of the branding of this. That's part of the importance of this gift is that you're legitimizing this. You're making it seem like it's legal and that it's okay and that it's a really uh, worthwhile endeavor. So people at the bottom of the pyramid tend to think they're like just, just earning money and they're doing it in a nice legal way. They don't understand the actual consequences of it. So I guess the old adage rings true. If something seems too good to be true, chances are, and especially if they're asking you to use a fake name, that it is too good to be true. It, it's often those adages sort of uh, uh, linger on in life and really are, are powerful in cases like this. Uttered by wise individuals, I'm sure, many, many years ago. Dr. Silva, thank you so much for helping us to understand this. We'll be on the lookout for anything called a gifting cloud or a present rainbow or something else that somebody might want to dream up. Stay away from that stuff. Certainly, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All the best. That is Dr. Derek Silva. New twist on an old scheme. Yeah, if it's too good to be true, because now let's face it, if your phone rings and you pick it up and, hi, you've won a cruise. No, I haven't. Click. Have you ever stayed on one of those? I stayed on one of them once. They get really angry with you when you start messing around and they realize that, you know, you've jumped from this person to this person to this person and you haven't given any information and you're not really willing to do what it is they want. They want your credit card or they want, they just want info from you. And when you stay on those calls and eventually get to a human, they get really annoyed really fast. And I remember talking with someone saying, you know, just don't, don't do that a lot because you never know what's going to happen or how they're tracing or what they're just stay away from that. If you've won a cruise, 
best thing to do is hang up the phone. But when somebody walks up and says, ah, get this idea. Here's what we're going to do. All I need is five grand. It'll be a gift for this person. And you can just gift it and you'll get some money back. It'll, ah, it'll work out beautifully. Just don't use your real name. Huh? Yeah. Just don't use your real name. Oh, okay. Where do I sign? Let's take a break. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. You've won a five-star vacation getaway. No, you're a recorded message. I haven't won anything. We were talking about the gifting cloud. I still love the name. It is all about branding these days, isn't it? Well, how can a gifting cloud be bad? A cloud that brings gifts? Oh, let him in. No, it's bad. It's very bad. Stay away from it. 519-643-2222. Al, have you run into something recently? Oh, hey, Mike, I just got it. I called you earlier about the uh, test. I never got that test. Oh, yeah. Did you get uh, it just now? Well, what I got on my phone after I hung up from you, probably within 30 seconds, my phone rang and it said test on top of it. So I answered it just to see what it was. And it was Google calling me to update my business information, which I have no business information on Google. And I guess there'd be a slight fee for it. Oh, there'd be a slight fee. Yes, somebody took advantage of the test and sent it out as Google to me. You're kidding. You think that's where you think they were tied together? Well, immediately after I hung up from you and the test happened, my phone rings and it says test right on top of it. Interesting. Okay, well we'll look into that and see if anybody else has seen that. That's that's really curious. Al, thanks yeah, for the call. Thanks. Bye bye. All right, take care. Anybody else have that? Somebody's trying to piggyback on the back of the emergency alert text. By the way, Glenn has maybe the best theory I've ever heard because this is the second time that we've gone through this emergency test in what, the last six months? And some people will get this emergency test, some will not. And this is just a test of the alert system so that it can come to your phone, you can hear it on the radio. But Glenn has a great theory, and I love this. He says, I'm not sure if you're still keeping track of this. One of the potential issues, I think, and this is according to Glenn, of getting the alert is whether you're currently getting LTE coverage. If you're in a cell tower minor dead zone where you can only get 3G, maybe that's the reason you don't get the notification. He says, I'm on an iPhone 7, had LTE coverage, got the alert. Huh? I like that's a That is a really good theory. Huh? As to what your phone is picking up. So if you have LTE coverage or if you have to use 3G, and if you have the LTE coverage, it would come through. If you didn't, it wouldn't. That's as plausible a theory as I've heard because, again, we've had some people who did get it. We've had some people who didn't get it. And that's not the idea. I think that's why they continue to run this test. They still haven't changed the garbled-together computer voice, though. The Alertridi... Dot ca. I, I don't know why they haven't changed that. Didn't they hear? Didn't anybody complain? Was I the only person to make fun of that? I didn't tell them. I didn't tell Palmerex. So maybe maybe I should pass that on. Can we, can we have somebody else voice that who's not a computer so it makes sense? Because this is a legitimate thing. This emergency alert system is a legitimate thing. This is very helpful, and it's something that we'll all want if... One day, what, we have a meteor heading toward us, if we're looking at alerts on missing children, if we're looking at other alerts of natural disasters, I mean, all of those things. You want to know, if a tornado 
is on the way to your place, you want to know. And that's what this provides. And most of us are carrying these old phones around with us everywhere we go. So best way to get it to us, the complication becomes we're not all getting it. So what is it? I love Glenn's theory. We'll see if that one holds up. And if you're like Al and received something from Google asking you for a small fee, uh, let us know because I'd hate to think that somebody was hacking into this in some way. Coming up, we're going to talk about something brand new coming to London involving nurses. And in fact, it will help to employ nurses. The other thing it's going to do is if you have somebody who maybe is in a caregiver situation or perhaps even waiting for long-term care, this can be really helpful. So we'll look at exactly what that is. It's called Nurse on Board, and it's new to London. And details come up after Jacqueline LaBelle and news at 2.30. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Something interesting to check out at 980cfpl.ca or globalnews.ca. And it's something that's being proposed by the federal government. And it would be regulations for surrogate moms. So when someone is able to say, okay, I will be a surrogate for you and it's going to cost this much money. So right now, paying for the services of a surrogate is illegal in Canada. This comes up in movies and TV so often that it just seems to be, oh, yeah, okay, well, that's, that's what happens, surrogate mom, yeah, I get it. But paying for the services of a surrogate is illegal in Canada. Right now, if you're caught, you know what the fine is? $500,000 and jail for up to 10 years. Really? Now, the current law was put together in 2004, doesn't stipulate what is a permissible expense in all of this. So that's why these regulations are going to be important. There's a lot of gray area in there. And so what they're they're looking at is proposed eligible expenses. So things like travel expenditures, expenditures for the care of dependents, counseling services, legal services, drug costs, all of this would be tied into everything. Because right now, they're trying to clarify when women can accept compensation when carrying someone else's baby. Paying for the services of a surrogate is illegal in Canada. Person caught paying for a surrogate, find up to $500,000. That's something I didn't even know. So that's something to look at at globalnews.ca and to continue to follow. And if you are looking right now at a part of your life and thinking, I, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, we've got a new service that's coming in. It is in the health field, and it's called Nurse on Board. It's brand new to London, and in a moment, we are going to find out more about it. We're going to find out exactly who it is designed for and what it is designed for. We talked earlier about the shoplifting idea, and one of the reasons that a couple of detachments in Toronto, if you missed it, essentially what's happening is a couple of detachments in Toronto started a pilot project. It's going to run for six months, and... What it does is it looks at shoplifting. They've had over 16,000 instances of shoplifting reported to Toronto police this year. And so the idea that you have to detain 
the person that appears to have done the shoplifting. You have to have police arrive, talk to that person. They're trying to eliminate some of that. And one of the reasons is you've got too many things that police are being called to. You don't have enough officers. If we could alleviate that somehow, it would be good. So the information then is put in by, say, a security guard at whatever store it is or maybe even by the owner of the store. I don't know if that factors into the pilot project, but certainly if your store has a security guard or if your mall has a security guard, they are able to call in that information about the individual, provided they're over the age of 18, provided they have ID, to police. And first-time shoplifters under this pilot program are not being prosecuted. So that's that end of it. If we put the same kind of thing into healthcare, what do we find? We find that a lot of people go to the doctor a lot. Remember, we had a conversation not too long ago about could we have pharmacists test for strep throat? And if you didn't have strep throat, means you don't have to go to the doctor. You're not going to get antibiotics. We don't have more and more antibiotics flooding the market and flooding humans so that one day we have a nice little superbug that takes hold and says, yeah, antibiotics, I learned to deal with those a while ago. See you later. And we have a big problem on our hands. So in the health field, you want to keep people out of the doctor's office. We've got too many people going to the doctor's office. It's very easy. Our system is fantastic. Having health care the way we do allows you to go to the doctor whenever you want to. Well, what if we had a system that made it a little bit easier in that way? What if, because we have such a kind of a, a drag on long-term health care and long-term beds, what if we were able to alleviate that? Well, that's what Nurse on Board aims to do. We're going to find out more about Nurse on Board when we return on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We've always got to be looking for ways to do things better. Of course, that's presenting new challenges. We mentioned CRISPR earlier. Yeah, we can do things better. We can mess around with genetic code. In an interview yesterday that talked with a guy who, and this gets kind of technical, but when you look at DNA, there are basically four letters to DNA, and they're grouped in different ways, and ta-da, human beings. Well, what this scientist has been able to do is throw in a couple of other letters. So you've got kind of six letters that combine together, and ta-da. And he's been able to grow not humans, fortunately, but bacteria, for starters. And this has all kinds of different possibilities in helping people, in creating proteins that right now are are difficult to get so that you can, you know, look at the creation of insulin for someone who is a type 1 diabetic. You can look at any number of disorders and say, hey, we might be able to help this out. But how far do you go? Because right now he's created synthetic little creatures, well, partly synthetic, little creatures. And with CRISPR, you're, you're cutting up kind of the genetic code and, and turning off this, if I get it right, it's kind of, it's turning off this and preventing this from happening, but the possibilities are becoming pretty wild pretty quickly. And earlier this week, we had word that a couple of CRISPR babies, CRISPR is C-R-I-S-P-R, had been born in China. Now, has that been proven? No. But the technology is there, and you want to bet somebody's going to use it. Remember Dolly the Sheep and cloning? Yeah, somebody is going to make use of it. So 
we're always looking to do things better. And that's how we get to the extreme. And some of those better ideas, they can be a little tricky. If we're to look at doing something better on a much smaller scale, let us introduce you to something called Nurse on Board, which doesn't deal with the genetic code, but does address some pretty significant issues that we have in healthcare. Things like long term beds, things like getting assistance for seniors or getting assistance for anybody in our population. Joining us right now is the person whose brainchild turned into Nurse on Board, and that's great. Susan Hagar is the owner and operator of Nurse on Board, and it is coming to London. Susan, how are you? Great, thanks, Mike. How are you? Well, I'm excited to know how all of this works for Nurse on Board, because one of those things that we're overcoming bit by bit is the idea of, okay, well, why do we do that? Well, that's the way we've always done it. And sometimes that doesn't work anymore. When you look at what Nurse on Board does, let us in on how this kind of changes some of the things we've been used to in healthcare. We are very excited as well to be in London and spreading out across the province at the moment. And it is a new idea in Canada to be able to hire a nurse in independent practice to have a better outcome, a better experience at healthcare. And so... That's an option now. It's, um, as I said, new to Canada, huge in the U.S. and Europe, and in a publicly funded system, it takes time for people to understand what our role is. But essentially, we are keeping people out of harm's way wherever we can, out of the emergency room, out of the hospital, facilitating their community care, their care with their uh, medical practitioners and other healthcare providers. So bringing a lot of peace of mind to what often is a very overwhelming, complex system. That's good. We always like a little help when things get overwhelming and complex. So maybe give us an example of someone who would make use of this. Good question. So I would say 75% of our clients are seniors. And as most people know, there's a huge wait list right now in Ontario, over 30,000 people on the wait list for long-term care. So what that means is that there's a very high acuity of people in the community, of seniors particularly, having a lot of chronic health conditions. So I do, in fact, get a number of calls from people in the London area, which is why we set up there now, because there's a demand and interest and clearly a need, as there is throughout the province. And I would say that in most cases, people just want to age in place. They want to stay in their home. They don't particularly want to go to a retirement residence if they don't have to. And, of course, less than 5% of Canadians can actually afford to live in a retirement residence. So our goal is to support people to meet their goals. So if that means staying at home, often that means they need help in terms of determining um, how they can stay well, how it can be safe, uh, how they can also have their family members support it. Because often, as you know, these days, people's family live far away, maybe out of province, out of country even. And so they're not there to uh, sort of give that advice, that direction, that support that people need. So a highly experienced nurse can be very beneficial in this way. And uh, nurse on board nurses are all senior nurses. On average, have about 30 years of nursing experience. So these are veteran nurses that uh, really can add a lot of value um, to the situation that people are facing, whatever it is. 
Susan Hagar joining us, the owner and operator of Nurse On Board. They basically provide registered nurses to work as care managers, as someone who can help individuals, as Susan says, so they're able to stay in their home. So a typical role, let's say I called and and asked for a nurse on board, what would they help me with on any given day? Yeah, well, it's a very good question. Sometimes we are going to medical appointments so that people are actually not being over-medicated, under-medicated, or getting um, referrals if they want it, second opinion. So sometimes it's the medical side of things, uh, also going into a hospital environment where people are feeling that they need some support there to have, um, I guess, to, to service the outcome, the, the end result they're looking for. And often then we're going into somebody's home. So we may be in their home helping to sort out what the troubles are over there, whether it's safety issues, whether it's challenges with medication. Uh, medication is a big problem in our community, as you might know, and there's a whole deprescribing movement. So we're helping people to get off of medications that no longer serve them. As experts would often um, you know, say to explain to people, is that as you age, you change. So a medication that might have been good for you five years ago is not necessarily good for you now. So uh, often taking a very critical look at all these different aspects um, in people's lives. And so uh, at home, we're often having to do advocacy also for home care services that are provided through the LIN because uh, people need support to stay in their home but don't know that they're eligible or don't know what makes them eligible for this support. So a lot of our role is education, helping people decode their treatment options and the medical advice they've been given, help with their planning, help their powers of attorney um, to sort through some of these matters for them. Uh, Pain management is a huge piece, so we would be sorting these things out in their home as well. Uh, Helping people these days with medical cannabis because it's a great option if it's used medically and used properly, but people don't have enough information and most physicians also don't have enough information to support people with cannabis as an option. So that's another uh, key way that we're helping people these days. Now, in terms of making use of Nurse On Board, is this basically a, a private company that you have going? Is this something that is funded through OHIP or through the LIN? How does that work? It is not um, funded by OHIP, unfortunately. It is an eligible medical expense for income tax. It's HST exempt. And we have great support through third-party insurance. So uh, Sun Life is a good example, and others um, do provide a considerable amount of support for nursing care in the community. So a lot of our patients are benefiting from that kind of uh, subsidy. And uh, we're very mindful of the financial burden it can be. So where um, we have a new client, we're always looking at where it is that they need a nurse and where it is they could have somebody else provide a service to them where they don't need the um, expert guidance of a nurse. And uh, But basically we've, what we've come to see is that people find it such a game changer in their life that they sort of shift things a little bit and decide that that's an important expense. Um, they need to have that service or they actually get the support of their adult children because it's a huge burden on adult children with their parents aging in the community. So it is privately paid, but people are managing and finding it absolutely worth it. Fantastic. All right. And now available in London or coming to London, how do we term that? Yeah, we are in London now. Uh, We absolutely have um, a few patients that we are providing support to in London, also nearby in Kitchener, Oakville, 
and uh, expanding through southwestern Ontario. Uh, London has a large seniors population, so we will expand, increase number of nurses as the demand increases as well. Susan, thanks so much for spending some time with us, and thanks so much for bringing this to London. Thank you, Mike. A pleasure, and thanks for having me on your show. All the best. Susan Hagar, owner and operator of Nurse On Board. So, you know, the first thing is everybody's going to say, well, this is private health care. Um, well, okay, sure, it's, it's, a, it's a thing like that, but not really. I mean, as she said, some insurance will cover this, and that's where you have to look. There are other ways to try and take care of the cost, but if you look at the cost of long-term housing for a parent or long-term care for a parent, uh, maybe this is something that if they can stay in their home with a little bit of assistance, it is more affordable, and it does cut down on the number of beds that are required. And that's the kind of stuff you have to look for. That's what I like about stuff like this. You look and you say, okay, here's the situation. How do we address this? How do we make this better? What are issues right now? We had a lot of people who are going to the doctor on a regular basis, okay? Can this maybe ease that? Maybe. We have a lot of people who are on waiting lists for long-term care. Okay, could this ease that? Maybe. And that's where you have to start. And if you can make dents and things like that, we'll make our world run a whole lot more smoothly. That's why we're doing the long-term gain and the short-term pain right now with construction. It's hard to get around downtown London, but the idea is we are going to make things better. Now the question is, are we going to be able to make things better for a population that continues to increase? I don't know. And what do we do there? How about that public transit meeting? Well, tonight there is a meeting. London Transit Commission is getting together at 5 o'clock, and they will be debating all kinds of things. We'll check in on that tomorrow and see how it is. One of the things that they will be looking at is, yes, whether or not you could offer free bus passes to Londoners. I don't think that's very close on the horizon, and I don't know that that's the solution. That doesn't necessarily put more people on the bus, but they'll be looking at how do we improve ridership rates, how do we improve the service? All those sorts of things. Starts at 5 o'clock. We'll take a break and come back to close out the show in just a moment. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Tomorrow on London Live, we will try and find out how the emergency alert system works. I don't know if they'll have all the numbers in, but I've been in contact with somebody already, and so we'll see if we can get you an update on that. I still really like Glenn's theory, the idea that maybe, just maybe, anyone who was not getting LTE coverage didn't get the alert if you were on 3G. So we'll ask about that. Remember Oumuamua? No? Well, we're going to be talking about it tomorrow. It was that big cone-like thing that came into our atmosphere, some, not in our atmosphere, sorry, into our solar system. And it was some interstellar object, but it was a really weird shape. And Harvard University eventually put out something that said, you know, this could have been an alien probe. And it's already gone. This came in, like, last year, over a year ago. And it's already gone. It's already outside our solar system. But there's a lot of talk about what it was and whether or not it was just some piece of something that was floating around through the universe. We're going to talk with somebody who has some interesting thoughts on what 
that could have been. We are also going to talk about the lighting of the lights tomorrow, what goes into getting all of this together. So that's coming up on London Live as well. And we'll look back over some of the ideas that come up tonight at the London Transit Commission meeting and just how far the idea of having free bus service may go. They do it in Estonia. That's all I know. They're talking about it in Edmonton. They do it in Estonia, but it is funded by taxpayers. London Live brought to you by our friends at Winmar. Make sure your house is ready to go for winter because it seems to be wanting to stay. I don't think it's heading anywhere anytime soon. Thanks to Christian Devino. News is coming up next. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.